This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. As of this morning, Denver Public Schools are back in session. But the school board is a total mess. The members were supposed to be on the same page, but now their very public infighting and inability to get work done is all anyone can talk about. And it's playing out in public in front of students, parents, and their new superintendent. I want to know that you know what you did was wrong and that you apologize for it and you're not going to do it again. I'm not apologizing for exposing your misogyny and your sexism. Students are already dealing with pandemic learning loss, low test scores, and ongoing concerns about health and safety in the classroom. But what about the adults in the room? Chalkbeat reporter Melanie Asmar joins me today to explain why this current Denver School Board's conduct is kind of a big problem. Today is Monday, August 22nd, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Melanie Asmar, welcome back to CityCast Denver. Thank you. So, Melanie, you've been reporting on the Denver School Board for quite a few years. And I'm just wondering if you've ever seen anything like the drama that we're seeing right now. No, uh, definitely not. So I I have been uh, reporting on the school board for seven years now, and, and I pretty much go to every single school board meeting. And... Um, yeah, no, I think what's what's happening now is is very different than how past school boards have operated. So for folks that aren't following this story as closely as maybe you and I are, can you describe what's going on with the school board right now? Yeah, there are some um, some power struggles, I would say some um, personality conflicts going on that's kind of erupting into public meetings. And, and that's looked like, you know, board members, you know, interrupting each other, raising their voices um, at board meetings. And so the board meetings have gotten more contentious. What's happened most recently is that the board president um, spoke with two local media organizations, Westward and, and uh, TV station, before a retreat back in early summer and and was saying she thought two other board members, Tay Anderson and Scott Esserman, were planning to replace her. I'm concerned about the retaliatory action that uh, two men on the board are taking against me. As president, and she, um, you know, called out some of their behavior. She accused them of misogyny and sexism, and she is Latina and said they were anti-Latino. And those accusations have kind of, you know, set off some really tense exchanges between those three board members. And the board has had several retreats where they've tried to work through um, these issues and these tensions. 
and uh, it has not been resolved. In fact, it's kind of escalated. I myself uh, was raised as an uh, immigrant Latina, and I come with that experience. And when I try to voice that, I get interrupted, I get disparaged, uh, my character is maligned. And we're talking about board president Sochi Gaitan, right? Yep. So it's interesting to me. She it she went to the press to talk about her issues with her colleagues on the board. But it also sounds like maybe she did that because she didn't feel comfortable talking to them directly. Is that a normal thing for the school board? I mean, what are you what are you picking up from the the interactions with these this particular board? Yeah, no, it's I would say it's not normal um, for the board members, uh, you know, to kind of talk about interpersonal conflicts in, in the press. You know, I think kind of what's underlying some of these tensions is, is a little bit wonky. The board has switched to a new sort of governance model, a new kind of way of running the board. And there are a lot of differing opinions on how that should work. You know, the president, Sochi Gaitan, sees her role as sort of monitoring other board members' behavior and um, kind of telling them when she thinks they're they're violating board policies other board members, including especially Vice President Tay Anderson, have really kind of pushed back on some of that monitoring, I guess. And, and you know, it's stuff like, can board members hold town hall meetings that aren't, you know, sanctioned by officially by the district or that all board members aren't invited to? Like, how can they meet with constituents, the people who elected them? How can they add things to meeting agendas how can new policies be introduced? So it's kind of all this sort of wonky stuff about how to run a school board, but it's causing a lot of, of tensions and conflicts. And I think that's where some of these, you know, disagreements have come in. That's kind of where the allegations of, you know, misogyny, sexism, racism have come out of those conversations, trying to work through those differences of, you know, how do we run this school board? So this this new governance structure you're talking about, this one voice governance, it sounds like it's almost having the opposite effect, like they're not unifying in any way. Yeah, it's it's called um, it's officially called policy governance. And one of the, I guess, tenets of it is that the board is supposed to speak with one voice. And so, you know, as a reporter, you know how I've seen that kind of play out is that, you know, oftentimes if I'll if I'll ask board members you know, to comment on like, hey, how are you going to vote on this policy you're considering? They'll say, you know, um, they'll kind of kick me back to the board president and kind of say, you know, you need to talk to the president about that. Like, <laughs> and so there's disagreement or uh, like just confusion about how this new, you know, one voice thing is supposed to is supposed to work. And I think some board members, you know, especially board members who've um traditionally been very outspoken, um, been involved in activism are kind, that's kind of, you know, they're not liking that. And so it's not jiving with how they normally maybe function in their community role, I guess is like, I'm trying to think how to say it. But what I'm seeing here is there's also this um, underlying conversation about social media, right? How individuals maybe utilize social media and how that can maybe sometimes go counter to this idea that we're supposed to be a unified uh, entity. Yeah. Y you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, 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 I feel like I know more about this school board's drama than any school board I've ever <laughs> voted on before, um, which is not necessarily a great thing. But something that's interesting to me is 
I'm remembering back to the election in November, and we elected these three new members, and they were all supposed to be sort of on the same page. That was the whole idea, right? Like, give, give, actually, Melanie, can you just give us an idea of, let's go back to that election. Who were the three? What was this? What was the set the scene for like what the board was like then and what they were going to turn into? Yeah. Uh, the, the Denver School Board has for many years been, uh, I guess, kind of a mix of, of, of members from different sort of political philosophies. And, uh, you know, the two sort of sides, if you will, were um, members who were backed by education reform organizations who believe in things like school choice and um, independent charter schools. And then the other side is candidates who were backed by the teachers union. And they, you know, have been very skeptical of charter schools, you know, would rather see the district pour its um, finances and and, uh, resources into traditional public schools. And so those have kind of been the two political sides. And in this past election in in November of 2021, um, three new members were elected and all three of them were backed by the teachers union. The result was that all seven members for the first time in recent history were backed by the teachers union. So everybody expected this to be a very unified board because for the you know, first time since this sort of divide surfaced in education politics, all of, you know, Denver school board members were backed by the teachers union. And so, um, uh, yeah, I, I think that, you know, people were not, you know, expecting all of this strife because, you know, all of the members were quote unquote on the same side. And that's kind of turned out to not be as effective, I think, as folks were hoping. But I'm thinking about this internal strife that they're having, these interpersonal conflicts that they're having. I know from reading your reporting, this has really kind of hemmed up the board's ability to actually get some work done that impacts the students and the day-to-day of the school operations and such. So how is this uh, strife affecting this board's ability to create policy and and do things for students. I think that's the big concern among parents and community members who watch the board closely and kind of kind of watched all of this unfold. Yeah, the board spent most of the spring kind of debating this one policy related to innovation schools. You know, the the policy was was introduced and then, then in addition to discussing like the meat of the policy, there was a ton of back and forth about did we introduce this correctly? Like what's our community engagement going to look like? So there was Again, like a ton of sort of wonky back and forth about like, how do we operate? How should we how should we introduce policies? And, you know, board members, you know, felt like the process had not been a good process. And there was a lot of back and forth and a lot of tension around that. You know, that's an example of community members were concerned that the board was kind of focused on this one thing and not talking about other things like, you know, reading scores or how are we going to help students mental health? Um, it's hard to point to like one thing that they didn't get done because they were focused, you know, on this other policy or focused on kind of these interpersonal conflicts. Like, but yeah, I think it's it's fair to say that there's a lot of concern that this will kind of take up all the air in the room and that they won't spend much time, you know, talking about um, about students, about reading and writing, about mental health. Yeah, about, I mean, we're, we're talking about still functioning within a pandemic to a certain extent, how that has impacted students long term. Um, I know that 
you recently wrote about test scores that sort of revealed that kids are struggling. Um, and it sounds like, I don't know, as, as a parent, I would be very frustrated that this was what I was hearing about my school board. <laughs> like, I want them to deal with that stuff. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade. Hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. So I want to—I I do have to ask, you know, when we're thinking about school board coverage in the last year, something that dominated this story was the um, mostly unsubstantiated allegations against Tate Anderson. And I wonder if that's playing into this conflict at all. So uh, Vice President Anderson was, was censured by the previous school board once, um, you know, the investigation into those allegations was finished. And uh, as you mentioned, the kind of the most serious allegations of sexual misconduct were not substantiated, but there were um, some other allegations that were substantiated and the board ended up censuring him for that. And, you know, I think that kind of the threat of censure is kind of playing into these tensions, not so much the allegations themselves, but the, the threat of censure. So, so President Gaetan has said, you know, at the at one of the last retreats the board held, like she accuses Vice President Anderson of uh, violating board policies with, you know, um, she hasn't really publicly said what she means by that. But this is part of like the, you know, monitoring behavior role that she sees as part of her role as president. Other board members disagree. And so she said, like, you're violating board policy. I don't didn't have the votes for censure, so I've tried to address it with you in other ways, and then you you push back in this misogynistic way, and so that um, and of course Vice President Anderson denies um, any misogyny or, or racism, sexism, um, and so you know the fact that she brought up sort of the threat of censuring board members for not following board policy, Vice President Anderson had like a very strong reaction to that because I think that experience of being censured he said was very traumatic for him. Other board members had a reaction to that as well. Board members who were on the board when the censure happened were like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Like censure is a really serious thing. And I didn't know that was on the table. Like I didn't know we were talking about that. And there was sort of like a hold on, wait a minute reaction when she brought up censure. And so in that way, I do think it's playing a role in these tensions. Also, we have a fairly new superintendent. Um, he's been in the position for about a year, and he's got this brand new strategic plan that he's rolled out. Um, how does this board drama impact the working relationship they have with Superintendent Moreto? So far, there hasn't been any sort of public tension at board meetings between the superintendent and the board. 
there's no shouting back and forth between the superintendent and the board. Um, he has sort of stayed out of these tensions. Uh, but, you know, I, th- I think the board sets policy and then it's up to the superintendent to kind of figure out what he's going to do to follow that policy. And so if if this strife kind of gets in the way of the board doing that, that, that you know, could and, you know, affect the superintendent's job. Um, it may also, you know, affect how his job satisfaction, like how happy he is at his at his job. You know, this is um, he is technically the board's employee. He is kind of like their sole employee. One of the board's biggest responsibilities is hiring a superintendent to run the district. So they a previous board hired Dr. Marrero. And he you know, I have heard some people say, like, we have this new superintendent. You know, I really hope this board strife doesn't make him unhappy in his job. I don't think he's given any public indication of that, but I think that is a fear in the community. Yeah, it seems like everything can kind of just get hemmed up and not moving. If the board's not functioning well, they're supposed to be working in conjunction with this brand new superintendent who's trying to implement some major changes. Um, But I have to go back to this thought of the kids, right? It's back to school time. How is this all going to impact the students? That's a great question. I think that, again, the fear is sort of that the board won't be able to get things done because they're too busy with interpersonal conflict, with tension, you know, with having sessions with, you know, mediators to try and work through some of this tension and they won't get to talk about issues that really matter to to parents and community issues like improving reading scores, um, improving students' mental health, things like that. Well, Melanie Asmore, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. The debate over let-out time in Lodo continues. Food trucks are fighting to return to the nightlife hotspot, now with the help of a bunch of lawyers. The Denver Post reports that a nonprofit law firm sent a letter to city council asking to repeal the ban on the mobile small businesses, claiming such a ban is unconstitutional. The Institute for Justice has won cases in favor of food vendors in other states, so this could be a battle the city does not want to fight. Check out my conversation with Westward editor Patty Calhoun last week about the persistent problems in Lodo for more. And finally, do you have a favorite way to enjoy Palisade peaches? Sliced into a salad or smashed into some ice cream? We want to hear all about the best recipes before peach season peaks. Leave us a voicemail with your name and neighborhood, and you might hear it on the show. Our number is 720-500-5418. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell the Palisade Peach Freak in your life about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye! The debate over let-out time in Lodo continues.